Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Hi, Chapel FM listeners. I'm Sparkle Menzies, and I'm a recent graduate from Music Conservatoire. I'm a creative that focuses on directing and writing for stage. On the leaflet, it mentions that there would be a collaboration from local students and these Conservatoire students. However, this has now changed, and I will now be focusing on extracts that I've written with the theme of missing in mind. This reading will be split up into two sections, Missing Friends and Missing Someone You Have Lost. This session has been recorded by Rory Rollins, who is a third-year music production student at Leeds Conservatoire. In the second section, there will be a recording from my recent short film, The Birthday Chronicles, which has been recited by A.A. Gibson and recorded by Productions Limited, owned by Linda Ray. They produce events to connecting artists and companies to different service providers. Thank you for listening, and enjoy. Section 1. Missing Friends. Maddie Moo. There's a song that reminds me of her. Loving is easy. Whenever it plays, I used to have to skip it, because I thought we weren't on good terms. It reminded me of dancing. Dancing in our dorm room without a care in the world. It felt like time would stop. That it was just us and the song would just carry on playing. But time is a funny thing. Memories can distort in your mind. But I'll always remember that girl. The girl with long brown hair. Paintbrush in hand and leaves growing out of her toes. She'll always be my Maddie Moo. But we grow up, as adults do. Universities in different cities. Different boyfriends and events to talk about. But I felt like I couldn't talk to her about them. I felt like she wouldn't care or want to understand. But now she's the girl who I know as Mads. The girl with Doc Martens and the edge of a Londoner. The one to tell me stories of her nights out and artist friends. But I will forever hold on to the girl with Beatles songs running through her veins. She'll be the girl that I see when I go home. My sense of home when I get to become 16 again. My sense of home and familiarity when time seems strange. We used to talk every day. She was one of the people I was desperate to see when lockdown was lifted. The drawing of the skeleton to protect me that I will always treasure. I just know one day I will see her artwork in a gallery. I will get to see herself shine through with just a single drop of paint. She is my sense of togetherness that I sometimes seem to forget. But maybe, just maybe, when we got older, when we move to different cities and have new stories to tell, we will go back to how things were, to times of laughter and womanhood, to think about what classes we have and homework to prepare, to times of heartache and forgiveness. But I will just have to wait, because I know myself better, and you do too. And that's okay, because that way, we could go about things the way we were meant to. But then that's what happens to friends from school. You grow apart and see each other when you get back, but she will always feel like home. My girl. I want to be like the girl that smiles on the dance floor and singing her heart out. I want to be like the girl that gives you that look when someone says the wrong thing. I want to be like the girl that knows what to say when you can't say it. I want to be like the girl that believes in you, even when you don't. I want to be like the girl that will hold your hand when you're shaking with excitement. I want to be like the girl that will laugh with you into the pillow over something that you won't even remember the next day. She's the type of girl that makes you show your true self and not be afraid of it. But she's moved. Moved on. She's at the next stage of her life. 
She's becoming the woman I knew she could be. She's got a boyfriend now. That's not a shock. Who wouldn't love her? That's growth within her that I haven't seen in a long time. But we don't have our daily calls anymore. We don't talk until 3am with wine glasses in hand. We don't sit in silence because we don't need to say anything. We don't bicker like sisters. I'm still adjusting. I know she is too. How do you separate yourself from someone you've seen nearly every day for the last three years? How do you still carry on when you don't know when you will next see them? How do you fight the urge to not call them on the phone crying about missing them? You don't. You dismiss. You wait. You text instead. Smiley faces and kisses. Small messages of updates. Sinking into that unknowing feeling. Missing them all the same. But I know she's okay. She would tell me if she wasn't. I just know that I'm not. Not right now. Not without her. She was the girl that I met when deadly hungover. She was the girl that picked me up and made me dance. She was the girl that introduced me to myself. But I can't wriggle out of the fact that it's different. It's something I need to settle into. Not a fun feeling, to say the least. But I miss the girl who I feel brave enough to share every version of myself with. I have to remind myself she's not going anywhere. She's just becoming who she is meant to be. What I would say to you. I have written about heartbreak, of breaking each other and scars being formed. I have written about love, of holding on until the last possible moment. And now, now I don't know what to write, because you feel so far away. It's a slick cut from the paper cut, small but painful. It's that bruise that suddenly appears. The constant reminder that it will take a while to heal. It's the unconscious thought when you walk through the door and have no recollection of what you needed. But my mind has been in a brain fog lately, unwavering and lingering against the window pane. I have no idea how to walk through it. I want to walk through it with you, to show you the way through my thoughts. The wilderness and the chaos, the calm and the sleepy, the doubt and the worry. To know that you will walk along with me, Within the fog, I can see willowy trees in the shadows, the reminiscing ghosts of garden flowers long dead, to the ideas of what we are. Because I can't read you anymore. I can feel you slipping and moving away. The fog has taken you and I can no longer feel your presence. I'm left alone to find the exit of my own maze. I just want the sunrise to appear. To see the glimpse of tomorrow's freedom and spontaneity, the glimpse that there is a way out of this. I'm only trying to know myself better. I'm only trying to see that this will all work out. I'm only trying to look forward. But you are asleep in the castle turret higher than I can climb. The thistles from the vines are making me lose my grip. Please don't let me fall. Please don't fall away from me. Section 2. Missing someone you have lost. Mourning you. I have a box of things of precious things of you and I. Photos of us, trinkets and things that we did together, letters that I sent to you, and one that I didn't. I still wonder what would have happened if I had. You hated reading and by the time I finished it, it was almost an essay. But now I get to keep it, in a box just for me, knowing what I did was right. And that's okay, the letter that you gave me. But now reading it, I'm no longer sad. I no longer think of my decision that I made. I know that it was right. It was a long time ago now. And I realise you were my first love. And I always thought first loves were meant to last a lifetime. 
and I now know they do. But they change forms. Doesn't mean any less meaningful. But times change, people change. And we weren't right anymore. I know we held on to each other for what seemed like our lifetime. One of those hugs that we used to have before saying goodbye. The ones where I really didn't want to let go. But of course I did. And so did you. And I know I will always treasure that. We always had moments of feeling, of thinking that we could try again. Those secret meetups, holding hands, your hand on my leg when I was driving. It seemed like we'd entered a time capsule and you were still mine. But now it's different. It's changed. I no longer look into the box with sadness. It's just a memory book. A chapter of my life that I wouldn't change in the slightest. You were and are still important to me. Those funny anecdotes that I will remember forever. But now I get to see that with someone else. I thought it would always be you. That I would always be stuck on you. Before, you were the one that let go first, and that's fine. But I was still left hanging on. Not understanding why I felt certain things. Not being able to tell you. Because you weren't mine anymore. And you're not mine anymore. I think I finally let you go. But I can't keep the feeling that once this is all over, that I can just get back into contact with you. Because I've started something else. And I can't let myself think like that. It's not fair on me and I can't let myself down. I do have one regret though. Not celebrating you more. Us more. To show the world what you meant to me. How happy you made me and how willing I was to work on us. So many fun memories I would gladly dive into again. Because a lot of it was fun. Some things hurt. I just try and hold on to that. Mum talked about you as if you were a title to be measured to. So now is it that every new important person in my life will be compared to you? That doesn't seem fair. I'm back home now. I'm almost tempted to go into town and walk by your work. Doesn't seem like we had our final goodbye. But I'm being selfish. You're not in my life anymore. Doesn't work like that. It never has and it never will. I'm happy, you know. Maybe just curious or sceptical that you moved on. I never act on my darkest thoughts. But maybe that's my fatal flaw. The one thing that catches me out. My addictive tendency of causing pain on others without knowing and causing distress on myself. Now that sounds stupid, but it makes sense. And now I can't sleep because these panicking thoughts come to the surface to breathe and torture me. So well done. Even though I haven't spoken to you in months, you're still in my head. But there's nothing I can do until I breathe. It's only a human thing. I just have to remind myself of what I already know. That I am loved, and I'm in love with a boy that cares for me, and I'm just trying to make myself feel something. Anything so I can feel. And now, Dear Andy, recited by Aya Gibson. Every year, without fail, I write a letter to you. Well, for the last two years, anyway. I don't physically write them down, because who has pens anymore? I call them the Birthday Chronicles. Cringy, I know, but it's a working title. Maybe I'll turn all the letters into a book. I doubt anyone would read it, but it helps. I was reminded of something the other day. That everyone dies twice. Once physically, and then the last time that person's name is mentioned. I don't really have anyone to talk to about you. Lots of family members won't bring you up, and I don't want to make mum cry. Can't talk to a therapist. They don't exactly have the answers that I want. But I have to keep talking about you, even if it's to myself. You can't die twice. 
So, Andy, here is the yearly update. There have been lots and lots of happy things. I fell even more in love with a boy named Eli. Lucky me. My friendship group is solid and loving and kind and crazy and mad and joyful. And I wouldn't have it any other way. They are the true loves of my life. They get to see the parts that I'm brave enough to share. I just hope that they aren't just part of my university chapter. It seems to happen to everyone. I know them picky. Just pray that they pick me too. The other night I got to showcase some of my writing. That's right, my own work. In front of an actual paying audience. I no longer want to be an actor. Trust me, that's a good thing. Drama school was helpful. I just don't see myself like that anymore. I want to be writing, directing, creating something that is truly mine. I uh, I actually have an idea for a new TV show that would be about you. So watch this space. Maybe this time next year I would have written the show and can tell you all about it. We moved, finally. We've moved even further away from civilization, but that's what the family wanted. A house so big and farm-like that mum fits right in. Even bought some chickens. Let's just hope the chickens are better than the vegetable patch fiasco of 09. Jer loves the house too. He's got a massive garden to kick any type of sports ball known to mankind. I just can't believe he's ten. He's still five in my mind. Dad is okay. He lost his dad recently and the funeral's coming up. Another grandparent down. This time last year I was still strongly mourning Grandad. Still miss him. Always will. When I think of him, I know he wouldn't want me to be sad. But uh, life milestones have happened too. I've needed to start thinking actively about my future. Graduation. Finding an apartment. Finding a big girl job. Got a tattoo. One to one for years and finally got the guts to book an appointment. I haven't told the family yet. I got an A. On my left ankle. I like to think that now... You'll be walking up those graduation stairs with me. When we were packing for the move, I found some letters that people had written to me from your funeral. Kept a few of the special ones. There was a a letter from someone that said, um, you helped backstage at theatre shows at school. I had no idea I, I got my artistic side from you. Well, that's not true, I mean... Mum can't speak in front of big crowds, so that should have been a giveaway. (laughs) Just never imagined that you would be my missing piece. I'm grateful that we would have had some stories to share with each other. So, yeah, that's me. 22 years where you haven't been here. But I've come to know that life happens in weird and wonderful ways. Painful circumstances that you can't change. Love and miss you.
always. Half of me. I only know half of me, of what I'm really like. I never got to know. All my life, I've been brought up to remember you, to know that you are mine, for me to figure out how I came to be, to try and understand that you're not here anymore, that you haven't been in all my life. There are pictures, in different houses and different boxes, scattered with loved ones, places that I wish I could find and keep and hold close. Those photos are the essence of you. Your hoodie that I wear when I miss you, your mugs that I use daily, all help me create a picture of you. The last remaining pieces to this increasingly confusing puzzle that I will never finish. Yet, still I try. I try every time I see a loved one from that side of the family. That godparent who knew you when you were my age. My age. The only time someone has actually punctured my soul was at a wedding. A distant family member. I'm sure they didn't mean it. They never mean to insult, but they can't help themselves. They simply asked me, How can you miss someone you don't remember? Over the years, I've thought back to that moment. If I could have reacted differently, if I had half the courage I do now, if I'd been strong enough that I could have stood up for myself. But that is the hardest part about my grief. I mourn for someone that has slipped out of memory, who I can only envision from other people's unreliable thoughts. They tell me he loved me, that he was a good father. But how do I move past that when I don't have any evidence of my own? In 10 years' time, I will be of the age that you passed away. We will never know if it was by choice or accident. I only hope it's the latter. I really hope so. I always question myself about that. If I could become that. But I have that addictive personality. Something that scares me. I've tried them. A few more times than I would like to admit. Sometimes when I have it, I feel alive and I dance. But I stop there. I have to. Because I know what comes down the line. What damage it can cause to the heart and soul. Where I can take over and one become lost in themselves. Trying to explain my story becomes exhausting after a while. No one has the same tale as me. It's almost become a learnt script when I begin to trust someone. But that rarely happens anymore. Because why would anyone really want to listen? It's just my past that even I can't remember. No one has shared the same tears. Others have cried for me, bringing up the memories of their own. I never mean to make them sad. But it's the only way I feel him, when they speak of childhood lullabies and playground dreams. There will always be questions that I can never get answered. Conversations that become forgotten and mannerisms that slip out of memory. I only pray that I still remind them of you, as you are half of me. Those pictures I hold dearly will remind me of you. Those wedding videos that I get to rewatch. Yet I always imagine. I always dream of meeting you, of wondering what it would be like. If we use time travel and I could meet you on public transport, to accidentally stumble into you and start a conversation. You would be on the way to work and busy. I would never reveal who I was and I wouldn't really get to know you, but I would get to see you in real life. I would get to see your wedding ring on your hand, the one that my mum placed on your finger, one of the many ties that my grandfather still wears to this day, and you would be happy. Then you would get off on your stop and that would be the end. But of course this will never come true. But I get to hold on to that dream, to think that it could be real, that you could be real. I hope you didn't leave me. I hope you didn't leave because of me. I hope you didn't leave because life wasn't worth living anymore. I'm lucky to see that mum is happy, that she was happy with you, that you two were genuinely in love. I only wish I could have seen that for you. I don't know what our lives would have entailed if you were still here, but I hope it would have been an adventure. You will always be part of me and I will never forget that. It just hurts I still have these questions. 
that I will never fully understand why you're not here. That I also have questions to ask when I'm ready. I've aged and I've learnt more about you, about how you came to be. I've created deeper connections because of you. I've distanced myself from others because of you. I've made mistakes and I've prayed that it wasn't because of you. But I know that over time, it might not become easier for me, but I'll be brave enough for the answer. When I eventually have kids of my own, when I'm ready and actually know myself better, I hope that their father, whoever he may be, will trust me enough to tell me of his demons so that my children don't have to fight them alone, that my own kids will have a father in their life that they know of, that they won't have to hold on to pictures but actual memories and bare skin. I wish I had that with you. I wish I still had that with you. It's gone to voicemail. No. Hi, Craig. Yeah, you're never going to believe this, mate. Shut up, you daft. Darling, we're in an airport. Have some respect for the lovely people around us, will ya? Who put the 20p in you? Certainly me. All right, Craig. Sheila's left the passport. Excuse you, Johnny. You liar. Johnny's left the passports at home, Craig. No, I shouldn't have trusted him since he left the iron on the other day. Right, we got to Gatwick, walked up to the check-in, he pulls out his plastic wallet and bish-bash-bosh, there ain't no bloody passports. Right, anything else to say? <laughs> no. Look, Craig, the key is under the fisherman gnome next to the pond. We trust you to go into our house, up the stairs, take a left into the main bedroom, look under the mattress and the passport should be there. He ain't answered the phone, so how's he going to get there in time, huh? The flight is in five hours and I ain't missing this plane, Johnny. I've got a great tan to catch. Last thing I want to do is sit in the beach next to you moaning. I've already booked the excursions. We've got Cyan Park on the Tuesday. Better be shopping. Oh, that's a little round the corner from the hotel, darling. Designer shopping. Move! You're in the way of that lady. She can go around me. What? What's that? I said go around me. Ain't that hard. Save the fighting for the sunbeds in the morning, darling. Are you still recording, babe? Oh, no, I ain't sitting. Oh, no. <laughs> You're so silly. I've gotten it like that iron, haven't you? Sorry. Craig, will you lock up and put the key back when you're finished, though? Much appreciated. Thanks, Craig. Johnny's wearing his salmon pink shorts, so you'll be able to spot them in them easily. They're <laughs> right. awful. Enough of that. I need a pint. See you soon, Craig. Hello, everyone. My name is Lynn Schiffmann. I'm an artist and writer from Dortmund, Leeds, German sister city. I'm quite happy to be part of this year's Writing on Air Festival and I would like to thank Peter Stafford for inviting me. The following short story is about collective memories and missing what might have been. Norwegian summer. December 2006, Germany. Since Norway, we have been walking to school together although it takes me twice as long as if I had walked on my own. But that is not important. Above us, the crows caw in the crowns of the plane trees. We walk slowly under the trees along Swiss Avenue. You won't find mountains here. Supposedly the street name comes from mountains of slack that were piled up somewhere along the road. I can't see any of it, but if true, that was a long time ago. Cold memories, not mine. I only know active winding towers from the stories of older people. It sometimes feels as though I experienced it myself. 
white laundry that turns grey again shortly after being hung up, the glow of the herder torch, the creepy cold cellar that often served as a holding cell for disobedient children, borrowed coal memories interwoven with one of my own, the smelly Emscher canal, which had to be crossed on the way to the swimming pool. From the collective memory, I could write my own coal poems today. But why would you need more of it? Rural area Romans, which mostly means coal Romans, meaning mining Romans. Why should I miss it? Why should anyone miss it? Nothing romantic about living your life underground, working under the heat of compressed stone, fearing instant suffocation due to an accumulation of gas, meanwhile suffering from silicosis, which we call Staublunge in German, which literally translates to dust lung. There are better things to miss in my life, but I don't know that yet. I will in about 20 minutes. Back to the memories. I also heard that the horse pastures along the avenue are said to be contaminated with lead. So maybe there's some truth to the slag mountains after all. At least the second part of the street name is correct. And so we walk across the avenue, a white path with trees on both sides. The word avenue says nothing about the fact that these trees are plane trees that are constantly peeling themselves, whose trunks are always full of wounds in various stages of healing. And in the crowns, there are the crows that nest here in spring. My friend stops unexpectedly. She looks at me and asks hesitantly, Say, you like women too. Is it possible that you are in love with me? July 2006, Norway. We lie on the banks of the small river, above us, thin pine trees sway in a gentle wind. Shadows and sunspots shift in slightly circling waves. I feel the slight scratch of the sand on my pale skin as I curl and stretch my toes. I look at her. Her skin is a little paler than mine, especially in areas that are usually covered. It is a mixture of freedom and security, an emotion that I have never felt before. Lying naked in the open air with a good friend and feeling content. Looking at another person's body without being immediately attacked by resentment and self-doubt. The question of whether our bodies are beautiful does not arise. It is irrelevant at this moment. We don't go swimming with the others anymore, since they ripped off their clothes in front of us and jumped into the river screaming loudly. We know that exposing ourselves while swimming is okay here. I'm grateful for this revelation, but I only want to share these moments with her. The water, the sand, the pine trees, the silence. Her inaudible smile which flickers across her face at irregular intervals like sunspots, and the knowledge that this relaxation is not only related to the absence of other people, but also to my presence. On the second night in the tent, we discover that her sleeping bag has a zipper on the left side and mine has a zipper on the right. Instantly, we connect our sleeping bags to create a shared sleeping space. It happens naturally, no hesitation, no shame. Happily, we even share the information about this discovery with the others the next morning, 
and they give us surprised looks, but otherwise remain silent. We are connected. We do things for each other. She washes the dishes in the river. I bring her new water every time her cup is empty. And at night, we sleep together. When hiking, we show each other the most beautiful places. And maybe have a strange understanding of romance. But I will always treasure the memory of her leading me up the hill. Me holding the folding spade and her wishing me joy in my activity. She's right. I will never experience a loo with a better view. We take cameras with us, those little black things where you take the film to the drugstore to be developed and only know weeks after a photo was taken whether it isn't blurred. We are naked in several of the shots, grin and laugh at the camera woman, laugh at us. December 2006, Germany. Say, you like women too? Is it possible that you're in love with me? I squirm. What is the correct answer? What do I have to say to make our friendship last? I decide, no, no, absolutely not. Oh, okay. We walk on in silence, above us in the bare branches of the plane trees, a crow screams. I think about my first kiss that wasn't with her, but with another girl. We wanted to practice kissing to finally know what it felt like. We put a piece of paper between our lips to keep them from touching. That didn't work, of course not. We then kissed without paper. Just a quick smack, not much different than giving mom or grandma a kiss on the lips. This kiss only lasted a few seconds. Afterwards, we confirmed to each other that we hadn't felt anything. I certainly did not feel nothing back then. But to this day, I still don't know whether the racing heart was just excitement about something new or a feeling of being in love. By now, we have arrived at the horse pastures only a few meters to the school's entrance. I'm feverishly trying to decide whether I should say something, whether I should confess my feelings for her. At this point, I could write something like, feet as heavy as lead, matching lead exposure and in general being burdened by something. You get the idea. But the truth is that I've never held lead in my life, so I don't know if it's actually that heavy. Furthermore, this connection would also suggest that my burden, namely being queer, is in itself toxic in the long term. I would like to reject this claim. Looking back, I also wonder if not confessing my love was actually mostly fear of homophobia or just general fear of rejection. Would I have answered differently if she had been a he? I missed the opportunity to try again. I miss what could have been. I miss us. The horse pastures are behind us. We cross under railway tracks, still in silence. The usual screams and shouts can already be heard from the schoolyard. Sometimes they can hardly be distinguished from those of crows. I feel bad. Wait, that's incorrect. I feel empty in a way that one feels when one has been angry and has shouted all one's anger without changing the course of the anger. Sad. I feel sad, although I haven't screamed. We enter the schoolyard. She, I, go into the building. I, she. 
up the stairs into the classroom. She sits in the front, I in the back. It's loud between us, as loud as it is when 28 teenagers move chairs, unpack bags and talk. As loud as it is when one person lies out of cowardice and the other knows it. Gereja by Zainab Gereja. There is a small shop in my hometown, with its brickwork crumbling into the centre of an Argali bazaar. It hides inside the narrow streets, tucked away to the left. You must tuck your head to step inside, past the freshly dyed fabric, slung over thin wire, hanging still. Blues and greens and reds and yellows, dripping, steaming in the hot, wet air of the evening, waiting for a whisper of air to dry their bright colours. The colours kiss their way into rainbows down the gullion. In the distance, the quiet, constant hum of vendors simmers in the humidity. You see the trading domes curve into the setting sun, intricate stone carvings merging into the shadows. The hard edges of soft stone bleeds terracotta into the dusk, details blending into the shadows. The bars of the wooden fretwork blush pink in the soft glow of the street lanterns. Now the stalls light up neon, handcrafted, Flashing lights reflecting onto the glass studio below. Bangles of every size, every colour, every shade you could imagine. Coming from a wedding, your hands are still cuffed with a garland of fresh flowers. The scent of gudre lingers in the air. The sick sweetness of jasmine and the metallic tang of bloody rose. Briars dig their thorns into your skin and the blood trickles down your wrists to join the muddy stream now flowing on the streets. You bring up your adorned wrists and push open the heavy wooden door. Bright tube lights reflect on the cold white tiles. The absence of colour almost blinds you for a second. Thin walls of creamy cotton hang high up, waiting to be filled with bodies. Below them, thick woods await hands. Your head feels heady with the earthy musk of willow bats and the maroon of the leather ball. The whole shop reeks of virility. <coughs> it is present in the arch of his eyebrow behind the counter and the disguised cough of his subtle laughter. <coughs> and suddenly you are reminded of the faraway grass of home. You remember the quiet congratulations, the loud absence of approval, the flop of the handshake, the benched potential, the stolen opportunities. 
those who sigh in disappointment at the flashing of the bales, when they clatter to the ground, those who shake their heads at the sharp crack of your ball being smashed into the boundaries. You remember how you felt, as if you were the ball, thrown against the barriers, barbed wire punching holes into the tissue of your self-esteem, no dignity. Your hands claw and your eyes water to be let in, to be accepted. You groan in agony into the broken pitch, the cracks binding around your throat, digging into red, raw flesh. <coughs> you feel him approach you in disbelief, eyebrows still raised. You feel his stare of interrogation as you run a single finger down the long seam of the ball on display, white stitching on red ball, hot pink of shame in your cheeks. You do as you've been taught and keep your head down. You are confined to his silent bias. The final flutter of words burns to ashes at the base of your throat. Words become trapped in the black fumes. The blood rises and you wish to evaporate into the heat with your disappearing dreams. You do as you've been taught. Ignore it. Stay quiet. Your father's wisdom was seldom wrong. There had been many times when you've directed that ignorance towards him and been met with fury. Yet, as you stared into the sixty-year-old wrinkles of your father's face, you found not fury, but exhaustion. The brown tan of his skin spoke of the endless hours he had spent labouring in the sun, flitting restlessly between home to houses in hopes of salvaging a better life. The shining youth of his black hair had worn to a silvery grey. At every border he was forced to cross, a little of his hair colour was lost. A token of humiliation, he had to pay as retribution for entry into foreign land, a tax on his dream of a life beyond helplessness. The sagging under his eyes weighed heavy on his life and was the only baggage he had dared to bring with him. He had left everything behind, in the haven of his mother's hands, everything from the olive tree outside his ancestral home to the wicked stumps he had been asked to take home after breaking them in half while playing in his first league. He did not know that when he returned he would find no tree, no wickets, no mother. The only thing still standing are the walls of the hollow house, haunted with the laughter of people who once were. Now, the hardened remoteness of his gaze softens at you. 
He tests the weight of the wood in his hands. Which one? You smile slightly. Which one indeed? The incessant complaining of men vibrates into the background as you concentrate on the task at hand. You walk down the tight aisles, looking carefully for the one you want. The legendary MRF? That's what Donny had used to win the World Cup. Brian Lara danced with that at the crease. Iconic. Maybe the classic grey nickels. Reserved for the barbarism cover drive. That had given the knighthood to Sir Alistair Cook. Graceful, dependable. Or the neon kookaburra. That's what de Villiers proudly showcased whenever his shot landed in the stands. Bat flat against the air. It had knocked Ricky Ponting into the list of legends. Always passionate, always aggressive. But would the purchase in your hands live up to the history of these names? Would the maroon smudges of knock deliveries hold the same indelible shape on your bat as it did on theirs? Or would it be money exchanged for another useless receipt, crumpled in your hands and left on the ground, to be walked over and forgotten? But as you look up and watch the man beside you, clarity arises. He's meticulous in his observations, studying the weight, the size, the shape of the bat you picked out. He does the same with the helmets, the pads, the balls, until the broken petals of your gudgery litter the floor, pure white, now grubby against the tiles. And that's when you decide. You don't need to live up to the burden of these stars. You would bask in their inspiration, but play your own game. That's all that mattered. You feel your questions falling away as you hold his arm to walk out. Here, the air is now cold and biting. Taking your first step out of the pavilion, you hold in a deep breath willing your lungs to stop shaking. Your body may betray you, but your mind knows now is the time. Here, amongst this soft haven of neatly trimmed grass and soil, your heart feels the tug of security. This is where you belong, confined to the hand-drawn lines of a man-made boundary. In this country, on this pitch, it lays the dull dead green under your feet, worn and spongy. If you jumped, would you bounce straight into the galaxies and lie there amongst the stars? Would those legends, with their willow bats, rock you to sleep with their wisdom and make you ready to be remoulded, reborn? You dream of waking up, face down, on this turf, and rolling around in its warmth forever. You dream the blades will rise up and cling to your back. You dream they will hold you down and hug you as you weep. You know you will have to get up eventually, and the wickets would have to fall, one by one. You will revel in the rushing of blood in your ears and the wheeze of short breath 
the seam of the ball imprints his intentions into the flesh of your greedy fingers. You readily accept them and become one, swinging it into the batsman, feigning, surprising, winning. The ball hits at his toes, skidding through the gap as he loses his balance. The bales topple, the wicket falls, you win, and he's left scratching his head, confused as to how his manhood couldn't save his losing face. You are greeted with the straight hard smiles of acknowledgement. Frozen handshake, pat on the back, nod of approval, well bold, then the abrupt turn away. Back to the changing rooms. Your teammates laugh with each other as their footsteps fall in sync. You smile wryly and let the earthy, triumphant musk linger on your taste buds as victory. At least the earth was not stingy in her applause. You shake your head and step to follow after them when a voice calls you from behind. Full name, it asks. Need it for the records. Gareja, you say. Zainab Gareja. The usual look of pure confusion prompts you to spell it out. G-O-R-E-J-A. Huh, cool name, it comments. Lips frowning, eyebrows furrowing. Never heard of that before. Where's it from? Your small smile widens into a grin. Picture-perfect postcards of hometown streets flash along your mind. The name bears reference to the bare footsteps of giggling children splashing in pools of golden sunlight. The addictive smell of freshly damp earth after the monsoon rains. The quiet trinkle of heavy anklets echoing in the empty auburn halls where queens once sat in all their royal glory adorned with the weight of their colourful langars and polky jewellery. It tastes of the salt and tang of sweaty hands, minty tamarind water mixing in spicy panipuri. A name connecting the red string of lost faces, all touching the same pages, gracing the same doors, fighting different wars to protect the same six strange letters. You stop to take a breath. Not sure. Just a family name, I guess. How could you possibly explain that even the origins of your name stem from a place outside the realms of their comprehension? A faraway home, outside these boundaries, which the heart cannot vacate, even if the being no longer resides.
Love the cases. Love the clauses. Love the adverbs and the antecedents. Love the words. From ELFM. I'm the only